Hey, back for another week of the Shane and Zane, Zane show. That's a tongue twister to start. I know, I know. It's pretty crazy. I know, I just came online myself, running a little behind, running around. But yes, we're ready for another Shane and Zane show. I don't know if we've already had the intro music or not. <laughs> no, not yet. Okay. Not yet. But... Yeah, first we're going to um, break down the episode a bit. We're going to talk about the ETH merge tonight. Yeah. So I think there's lots to talk about there, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. I am going to tweet this thing out <laughs> about what we're doing. So there's a lot to talk about the merge and then I think we're going to do a little bit of a retrospective about like where the change has been and all that stuff. Uh, yeah. And then just having a good time like we normally do. And then we'll talk about where we think it's going. Yeah. We'll talk about, yeah, the history of it, like ETC and all that fun stuff. But uh, yeah, let's get into the intro music then. Back. And we're back, <laughs> and we're back, and we're back, and we're back. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about the merge. Yeah, so the merge is coming up. Has the date actually been finalized? I think. I think well, it's... I mean, it keeps getting thrown around because the hash rate is changing because you know people are trying to exit. So uh, it's going to be about fifteenth ish is supposed to be the day so yeah like two days yeah and i know a couple of like bridges you know people that are bridging off to like other chains etc have uh like started pausing their bridges until the merge is complete but like some people are just kind of wide guessing between like the 11th to the 20th something along that lines (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah i mean that's a good uh a good estimate I'd say. it's a pretty big thread uh spread so it's like okay cool we're getting prepped and so as a miner it's kind of like what are you thinking what's going through your mind what would you say <laughs> right now uh yeah I'm, I'm trying to find another chain to use my hardware on I mean, in philosophy, I'm probably choosing Ethereum Classic, but I mean, some people are hoping that this ETH POW thing is going to work out. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen this, this ETH POW thing. I think I have, um, where people are saying, well, let's just make a new thing uh, and let's do this like ETH POW stuff. Where it's like, hey, look, if you're an ETH holder, you'll get this ETH POW on the other chain. And then you'll like kind of double your holdings, kind of. Um, kind of like, let's make another Ethereum Classic, which in my opinion doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense to do that. Um, 
I have I don't know what the value proposition is that's different than like Ethereum Classic. So for those of you who don't know, there's actually been a fork of Ethereum that's been long running that is also Ethereum and pretty much so tracks most of the same changes as like uh, Ethereum, we'll call them Ethereum mainnet or whatever, Ethereum, like whatever, ETH. <laughs> ETH and more from <laughs> ETH and ETC. Um, so it's kind of an interesting thing to think that there's already been a chain that's doing this. Uh, and we'll get into some of that um, later and like what are the complications around that? Or maybe we'll just jump into that like almost right now. Um, so like Shane, do you have any idea of like why Eve Pow, what's their value proposition over uh, like Ethereum Classic, what people have been saying? Yeah, I mean, you could definitely there's definitely like an argument there, right? Like the current ETH miners may want to continue the chain. There's some, you know, current infrastructure that their teams might want the proof of work security, right? There's definitely still an argument for proof of work security. Like having proof of stake introduces all kinds of, other attacks and security implications that some people might not be okay with depending on their dap right 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 so yeah that's a little bit interesting and then i guess the question is okay if we're all like sort of subject subjects of bag holders <laughs> like who's who's the bag holder that you trust so like Miners may argue that they are more secure than, say, like, uh, not them. And so, like, there is the, like, the ghost protocol type of thing. So, like, there's no, like, rolling back. But in, in theory, proof of stake has better finality than, you know, um, proof of work. As we've seen on the... It also... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say it also has like the ability for social consensus like a lot more than Ethereum does. Like Ethereum is if you have maybe social consensus of the developers, right? Like a rough, you know, rough consensus is kind of what you would call that. Um, but... Uh, yeah, like when you go to proof of stake, you have uh, there's stuff like built into the protocol where people can vote against and like to uh, like vote against some reorg or for some reorg uh, to have like a social consensus to uh, recover from some on-chain event, right? Like if something catastrophically goes wrong or uh, you know, something like that, which brings in, uh, you know, if you're on like the Bitcoin ethos, you probably don't want that, right? You don't want social consensus on the chain. So, yeah, right, it, it, right. it depends well, on like your philosophy around 
proof of work versus proof of stake, I think. And I still think that that's where the legs for ETH POW comes in. But that being said, I don't think the execution for ETH POW is even like on the radar. Like they don't have, uh, they don't have gaff binaries out. They don't have a block explorer. They don't have any infrastructure set up. And they're trying, it seems like they're trying to do like a bootstrapping like post fork, which is just like all kinds of confusing and even more complicated uh, than it would be to do it before. So it seems like they're very not, uh, like it's not like an experienced team that is leading that effort. So I don't see it really taking off, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. And I think, you know, if we like roll back, because like we've been here before. Only for different reasons. And so it's kind of an interesting thing to think about the philosophical aspect of like miners versus people that are staking. And so, like, uh, I, let's say, like on Near, there are a lot of, it's a proof of stake network. So this has like been running on mainnet for maybe about a year and some change now. And so it's been kind of interesting to see. But okay, they have the infrastructure set up, so there's staking pools, um, much like there are mining pools, etc. And so it's kind of like you still have those same sort of dynamics as you would for mining. You're just not doing the mining. You're just forking over the cash um, <laughs> to say that you have it all on the line instead. And it's kind of interesting to think, okay, let's say that you've been a long-standing miner, like say ant pool or something like that, do you then have like, now do you shut down your mining operation and you just say, you know what, we're on proof of stake. Uh, let's have just a staker and go for go for that. And just like save all the electricity and like maybe do something else. So, like, when it comes to alternatives, I think as a miner, I'd be looking at live peer. I'd be thinking about a Leo. Uh, you definitely can't mine Bitcoin. There's, like, Grinch. Yeah. Bitcoin and those, like, GPU-based ones. I also saw one that yeah. was, like, some, some UTXO based ethereum one that yeah floating around there's a sia too so you can start to look at like beyond your traditional like blockchain stuff i think forgive me if i'm wrong here but i think the sealing process um that filecoin does would also be good for like a blockchain miner so it's a it's going to be interesting to think like, will people go to the oldest uh, Ethereum chain um, just because it's going to be a drop-in, do nothing with your infrastructure, do the same thing sort of replacement? Will people just switch over? And so, like, I guess taking a look back, so when ETH um, let go, 
we'll, we'll say like Ethereum fired. When Ethereum fired, um, small miners of like two gigabyte and four gigabyte card miners, um, I think uh, me and you were a part of that decision within the Ethereum community to invite those miners to, within the Ethereum Classic community to invite those miners to start mining on Ethereum Classic. And then we eventually did see a bump there of people just being like, you know, ah, oh, I could mine Grin, I could mine Monero, I can mine Ubit, I can mine any of these other altcoins. But I think there was just an uh, a thought and those miners that's just like, you know what? I don't have to turn these machines off. I'm just going to like point them somewhere else and, and go on about their business, which is like kind of the, the nature of mining pools in general, I think. Uh, just going where, where the money is yeah, or where the ease of use is. They're less, I think, politically minded than... Um, and care actually less about the ecosystem just from from my like uh, limited dealings with miners on the Ethereum Classic chain than like say people that like develop protocols or people that are looking to build uh, dApps and things or like users of a blockchain. So they're just kind of like a an entirely different animal that's not really deeply philosophically involved in like any of the politics that happen on chain. It's more like, we'll do the digging if you pay the price. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like it, the thing about miners, right, is that they, they already have invested into their hardware. So either they're going to sell it or they're going to figure out what to do with it. Right. So, it's just it's a tough it's a tough game for miners at this point in time where like you said like ethereum basically fired them and was like we'll try and figure this security thing out with the coins that have been mined thus far you know yeah like, we'll try to create new ones out of those old ones basically yeah and that's like that's probably like sort of the real interesting thing and then a lot of discussion that's been floating around in these different ecosystems are like, how do you like fund things? There's different governance protocols. Uh, I think like, yeah, Zcash is another one that you could go and I, I suppose start mining. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, miners have options. And for them, I think it's a question of, what's the cost so like um so i guess we could talk a little bit about how like sort of ethereum's gone going and we could talk a little bit about ethereum classic too i think so i, I keep saying we could talk about ethereum classic so um just like a historical look at the chain and like miners as like sort of the like the entity that they are within like sort of blockchain so like just to recap, because we've been kind of talking about miners abstractly. So miners are the people that are on the chain that are um, basically willing to do what is now like proof of work or solve a cryptographic puzzle 
uh, within a certain amount of time to provide some sort of guarantee and surety about the state of transactions on a network. So they say you submit a transaction over the network and it propagates out to all of these nodes that are listening for transactions. Um, and then some of these nodes are doing this process of trying to solve this puzzle first. Um, and then once they solve this puzzle, they get to include these transactions in a block if they so choose to include transactions in a block and then they collect a reward for that. They used to get a payout for that, um, for all of the transactions that come. Instead, now there's this um, deflationary mechanism called like gas burn and gas change. So it's kind of a little more complicated, but basically they get a base fee for every transaction that's included onto the block. And then they collect the block reward which is steadily trending towards um, zero over the period of the next, uh, it's roughly, maybe we're at 40 years now. <laughs> so it's kind of an interesting dynamic of um, miners having some incentive to include transactions through this idea of charging a fee on every transaction that they get rewarded with um, if they win the block. And then there's also the other sort of incentive that has emerged recently in the past couple of years, which is um, can be considered minor extracted value, where people say, hey, look, let me grease your wheels, miners, um, with a little extra on top to include my transaction over someone else's transaction." So can we do transaction filtering on uh, like what you decide to include in a block? And then there are a couple of protocols um, that work on the background that are sort of memberships um, that you can pay for to get your transaction included first. So in DeFi summer and in NFT summer, we started to really see the emergence of like this kind of uh, wheel greasing going on. So that's kind of miners, um, but another way to look at miners are these groups of miners that come together under the umbrella of a mining pool. So every miner has the ability to um, like probabilistically win so many of these blocks and therefore get paid so much of the Ethereum that's gonna be minted out over the year we'll say. Um, and how many blocks that they win depends on how much computation power they have. And so what miners realized they could do is form gigantic pools and then share the rewards uh, through like splitting the work of finding or solving this uh, cryptographic puzzle. So typically uh, there's mining software uh, that tip that doesn't really typically change um, from block to block, from year to year. Um, they try and keep that as like reliable as possible, and it more or less puppets a bunch of individual miners. So if Shane and I were to be miners, we wouldn't have the computation power of say like Ant Pool or any of those large pools out there. 
what we would do instead is we would either go to a data center or find some place with cheap electricity uh, and we would run our machines and we would say, hey, look, we're going to offer our less than one terahash, our quarter terahash, um, like computational power to uh, some pool. So you tell us what we should be solving for, and then we will try and solve for it. And if we get it, we will tell the rest of the pool, and then you can include whatever blocks you need to include. And what happens no matter what, if anyone from the pool wins a block, we all get a reward payout for it. So miners are this consortium of people that are aligned to try and win a block. And the more of them in a group, the better it is for um, them, for their bottom line. Um, and then the other sort of thing here to, to note is miners are not necessarily great for blockchains um, because, or at least mining pools are not necessarily great for blockchains because now you're only dealing, instead of dealing with 500 or 1,000 or 3,000 different miners, you're dealing with one or two concentrated pools, or you're dealing with four concentrated pools or five. And I think really, if you look at charts of like who's winning blocks, you'll see that the pie chart is divided up into a very countable set. So that doesn't bode well for decentralization. So that's like miners in a nutshell. And so if we like flip the script and we look at the way that stakers work. Uh, Shane, do you want to talk a, a little bit about stakers? Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> the same way that miners are uh, doing a bunch of work and uh, getting a block at the end and producing a block at the end, uh, staking is also doing uh, a tiny bit of work. Uh, and... The security comes from if by getting that wrong, uh, you lose some of the money that you've put up. So uh, it it's a lot harder to bootstrap that kind of thing. Uh, but for Ethereum, where you have you know so many years of proof of work, uh, it's the perfect kind of launching ground for doing proof of stake because. A lot of work's already been done. There's a lot of stake in the ecosystem already that can be put into uh, kind of like work on producing blocks instead of miners, right? Yeah, for sure. And so it's like, it's pretty interesting to think that you have these two different groups. And so what will be really interesting to see is like, What's the overlap of people that were mining that have now moved to staking? And um, will those miners just take those resources elsewhere? And so, yeah, we were talking earlier about elsewhere. Yeah, it probably depends on the mining pool strategy, right? Like if they are one that is taking... Uh, the ones that are pooling together just any arbitrary person that wants to join, maybe like Ethermine or something, they might be uh, 
they might be like selling it immediately or they could be holding it uh, in like a vault somewhere. They could be earning it, you know, on like Ave or something. Uh, but when ETH, uh, when the ETH merge comes, they're going to have all kinds of Ethereum to like depending, right? They might have a lot of Ethereum that they might want to stake. So they might not be totally out of the ecosystem. Uh, but a lot of like individual miners are selling their stuff immediately to pay for uh, hardware costs, uh, hardware upgrades, maintenance costs, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting to think about the political climate of of proof of work mining too. Um, so, mm -hmm. like, I think as a miner, you've got the like you've got China that's been sh like closing up shop on on mining. And so you've kind of got to find new domains and new countries to start like mining in. And it has cheap costs of electricity. And so that's going to be probably getting progressively more difficult, especially as like the G8 and I think the G25 or whatever are like looking to reach, well, not G25, but looking to reach um, that I think a lot of, uh, climate change initiatives that are coming forward. So it's about like reduction of like energy costs and things. So like proof of work has kind of got more difficult legal problems to go around. And if you're someone like Antpool or like you've been a longstanding miner in the ecosystem, you probably already have a lot of stake. And so the question is, Who's going to come in and like, I don't know, take more proportion of stake than, than, than you, <laughs> who's going to have a bigger bag. Um, and that's be, yeah, that's, that's like, really weird. The same issue. Yeah. That's like the same issue that you get <laughs> like running a casino, right? Like if someone comes in, and has more money than the casino, then they can win. That's why there's like limits on, uh, you know, limits on bets and everything is because you could have like a such big of a bet, say, you know, only 30% of the time you win. Yeah, okay, so you do that until you win more than the casino has. Sure, you might lose money, but you can definitely bring the casino down, right? Yeah, well, if the yeah if the expected value is like going to be much larger than what the uh, than what the casino has, then yeah, you can break the bank. And it's a uh, it's an interesting if you're trying to just bring it down, right? Like as a bad actor. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's like really interesting to think, like, okay. So now you've got a group of people that have some uh, not too interested, but like interested enough to run a uh, a staker, which by the way is trivial to run compared to running mining software. Um, then, and you know that this proof of work stuff isn't going to be that great. So you've probably got some ambition to, you know, 
grease the wheels as long as you can. Um, and so like you go and you migrate to another ecosystem, you point your, your mining work somewhere else, but then there's all this operational costs around it. And then now you're earning more stake and another ecosystem. So it's like, it's kind of a, an interesting thing to think that like the time of becoming a part of the infrastructure is probably trending downwards. Um, and then you have to kind of think about the long-term economics of Ethereum itself, or if it's deflationary mechanism, um, that as it grows more popular, there's going to be less and less of it floating around. So by that virtue, it seems like this is very highly speculative and uh, just like uh, coming to this conclusion now that if you are a staker with a large bag, there is limited potential to actually catch the next large, to be the next largest staker. <laughs> uh, just because um, through means that are just purely uh, like providing support for the, uh, for the chain. Like you'd have to buy or figure out how to accumulate enough uh, ETH from other holders to be able to be that kind of whale. And I don't see a way to do that through mining. So like if you were to do that through mining, um, you would just say you found some way of like with a quantum computer or some sort of extra resource to squeeze more juice and just win more blocks. And so you could say, I started from zero and now I've made uh, a large, I now validate so large a proportion of the blocks that I've now become the second largest holder, et cetera, or the third largest holder. Well, with staking, it seems like there's this argument that one or two or three staking pools could forever be the largest staking pools. I think it's not just staking pools, right? It's also exchanges, which also have like an insane amount of Ethereum on other people's behalf, right? Yeah, it's very true. Um, so like, it's kind of funny you mentioned this because like essentially Celsius was kind of making that gamble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. With the staked ETH um, that they had going. So it's kind of an interesting, it's an interesting battle between the wealthiest. Hmm. Hadn't really considered that. <laughs> but like, is, as right, an individual. There's, the, there's like the whole Lido thing as well, where like the, there's like an insane amount of ETH stored there. And then the thing that we haven't even talked about yet today was the whole MEV aspect, because that not only is a thing in mining, but it's totally possible in proof of stake as well. So we're going to see all kinds of interesting MEV things come out as well because if you think about like 
okay, who's using MEV software right now? And it's like maybe three pools that make up 80% of Ethereum mining. But when we have proof of stake and there's like an insane amount of validators, there's going to be a lot more room for this MEV software to, to diversify and hopefully not just be one, but I mean, hopefully it doesn't get. Yeah. It's really. Yeah. Hopefully it doesn't get too concentrated. And like, like you said, the staking pools, the exchanges, these are all like sort of the whales in the ecosystem that are playing this particular game. And to be fair, the mining game has always, well, hasn't always been rigged, but if you were late to the party from like the 2015 to 2017, then there was probably very little chance, um, unless you're moving your miners from like sort of Bitcoin, et cetera, of you ever catching up in the mining game. Because like it's never been a game of like small time miners in their in their bedroom collecting uh mining uh, ethereum right outside of the very beginning you're not going to be able to run a miner from such a small setup so you already need the the company sized infrastructure to to play this game so yeah i wonder i wonder how that'll play out in the proof of stake realm where the promise is that everyone can run one of these on their machine, but like, how will that actually end up in practice? Right. Yeah. And it'll be like really sort of interesting to, to see like how it is all going to play out. And like one of the things that has been sort of uh, striking about it is that because like you have these segments that are already so powerful that like the infrastructure and like the thing here is like you were saying about the minor extracted value and say transaction ordering, transaction filtering, et cetera. And the more accessibility is that you can uh, with the, I think the proof of stakers, oddly, I feel like staking has more to do with a sort of philosophical perspective of being more tied to the ecosystem. I feel like most of the miners could give two shits <laughs> about what about what goes on to the chain for the most part. It's just because it's just pure computation thrown into the mix. Whereas yeah, here, like when like when fifty one when ETC got fifty one percent attack, like the miners only cared about like oh well which chain should i go on so that i don't lose the most uh in mining rewards not like which one's the real chain <laughs> you know well I mean? not even that yeah not even that they were so disinterested in doing anything at all so like there was a window so like over the summer of 2019 maybe 2020 ETC suffered like three 51% attacks. And this had to do with uh, not enough hash, rentable hash rates. And so um, this was also part of the motivation for 
getting uh, small-scale miners onto the ETC. So getting all the indie miners to come to ETC after Ethereum kicked them off um, or just basically shut the gate on, on that type of mining that they were doing um, just because like they didn't need that hash. Um, so like once that happened, we were at a position on the second uh, attack to actually converse with the miners. So we had a whole like tactical squad team. We were watching the, the chain and we were able to react fast enough to see the next attack coming on the horizon. And we were like, hey, here's the thing you need. Here's the update to the client. All you need to do is just run this thing. And so when the attack came, they were all just like, no, nah, dude, not my responsibility. <laughs> uh, which which is like pretty insane to say well this is what we we technically incentivize you to do is to protect the chain with hash rate but they were like not my responsibility not going to change the chain this is on you and you know they actually lost lots of money doing this because like they replace an insane amount of blocks and so they essentially all lost their block rewards to that period. And then we're looking towards us as developers who are like just maintaining the protocol, you know, not, uh, not mining or anything. We're essentially at this point, the same sort of thing that uh, E Foundation does or any of uh, the people that are making clients, you know, we were just like, hey, look, we're creating the software to allow you to mine and to do all these other things um, on the network. And they said, absolutely not. We're going to do nothing. And that was super disheartening at the time to think that no one is, no one is going to save you here. <laughs> no, yeah, one is, no one cares enough about their own bottom line. They care about doing nothing because the cost of like doing an update for them was too much yeah like the as much as like the there's like the security argument sure for the the difference but it does allow like a lot better participation in the protocol right like or not even like that as well as like the incentives like are aligned yeah, like you're staking your Ethereum that you like, I guess, bought somewhere. So you're already like buying into the ecosystem, and then you're using it to secure it. So I do like the incentives and how they align, and at least from the start, like blockchain is all about, has been all about, like having the right incentives. Yeah, it's really kind of interesting to think about the social aspect of, of the proof of stake that's going on, especially because, like you said, the incentives are aligned. So it's like, oh, you could be using this ETH to buy like Bitcoin, or you could be using this ETH to like secure the network. And if you're taking this off the network altogether, and then you're not gonna get as enough, you're not gonna get more rewards. Or if you do something that's terrible, 
let's say that you are ant pool and you decide to include zero transactions ever. <laughs> you just decide to filter all transactions, which you could do as a potentially large staker, just saying like, I'm not including transactions this blocks. Um, so like, but that is probably not in your best interest to do, you know? It's just probably not a good deal for you and for the network because now you're, you're stuck holding Ethereum for some fixed period of time. Like, do you know off the top of your head what the window is for the staking? Oh, I mean, right now it's like a year to get right. it out. So you're stuck for a year. And imagine that you do something crappy, <laughs> right, yeah. with your large pool that hurts the value of the coin. You're stuck with that value. You're not going to be able to, like, quickly, like, pivot, you know. And down is down. <laughs> it's not up. So like yeah. if you think if you think about the Ethereum miners on ETC, if those miners had to have been staked in ETC, then what would have happened is like when we gave them an option to fix the chain and to just thwart the uh, uh, thwart the attacker and to do something about it, they would have been more incentivized to do it because they know that. There's no way they're going to just dump ETC after an attack. They're not going to be able to sell for the next year. And if that's going to hurt the prestige of the chain and the security of the chain, that's a problem. That's not something that they can just like ignore. So it's kind of an interesting incentive around the people that are staking to be more value aligned than the miners. So it also kind of feels like if miners, the majority of the miners aren't interested in playing the politics of the chain, then they're gonna just like leave to, to greener pastures, it seems like. Yeah, the the whole like uh, filtering or say censoring uh, of transactions, it does get, I mean, it doesn't change really between who produces the blocks, right? Like if it's proof of work or proof of stake, but it is scary nonetheless, uh, like the centralization of say like Flashbots right now, where it's doing like 80% of the chain's transactions. And the reason why that's, scary is because if we're all for decentralization then like stuff like flashbots i don't know if it does today but it could start censoring transactions like some other things that we've seen recently where uh people have gotten sanctioned and all, all kinds of stuff uh right yeah it's gonna be really an interesting world that we're we're headed towards, uh, I can't recall, but yeah, I was gonna say there was another protocol. I feel like it was Eden protocol or something, but maybe not. Um, <laughs> yeah, there is, but they're not doing as much as Flashbots is. Like Flashbots is out of control right now. Yeah, that that's really like sort of an insane, like, insane like prospect to think 
but you know it's it's kind of weirdly the world that we live in so it's like we need infrastructure we need a power grid we need people that can then be a power grid and so it's like flashbots like rise to dominance like that does give some hope that like yes you could make a dap that then finds itself like dominating uh transactions and like uh, yeah. creating enough uh, bag to be able to influence the chain in a big way. So it's not like uh, a public utility uh, situation where the FCC has to give you the rights to be able to do something. So it's kind of like an interesting layer on top of the layers that we're trying to build. So it's like the the public infrastructure that's headed, and if you think about this, for I think the majority of people, like staking is headed towards zero. You know um, <laughs> that, like, uh, okay. So there's this inflationary. By, by that I mean, as more and more people get on the Ethereum blockchain, um, that increases the deflationary pressure on the actual like. Uh, Ethereum chain, which also increases the number of people that are willing to be in this like staking game, right? And so at a certain point, there will be so many stakers and the pools will be so large that most of the value will not be extracted from the actual block reward itself, but from external rewards. Uh, and that will have to come from probably transaction ordering. Uh, and then that's kind of like an interesting, I think that's kind of like a crazy kind of take, but I think as like within any industry, like as like competition like gets higher and higher and higher, uh, there, there goes the diversity of rewards, et cetera. So as the pool grows larger and larger and larger, any one individual in that pool is probably expecting less of a reward until you're at the like sort of almost operating cost of being a staker. That's what I think. So like the cost of running an AWS node is probably the eventual like uh, value that's gonna be extracted from staking. Um, outside of a, a speculative rise and the value of Ethereum. Yeah, that's what I think. And outside of like the... The, the uh, greasing of the wheels, so to speak. Well, like whatever, if, if you decide to take advantage of MEV, you're going to run like that alongside your staking node to try and make as much money as possible. Right. ordering transactions but i think the people that are going to run mev are not the individual stakers because they have such a low probability of like doing anything in the network it's going to be the staking pools and i yeah, think the staking sure. pools are going to they're going to be concentrated enough to where the staking pool operators i think are going to be the people that make out until people wise up and they're like oh this staking pool operator is just using <laughs> MEV to get things going. It's like, 
like we were talking a long time ago about ETC and the mining community and the mining software and thinking to ourselves like, okay, like at some point it seemed economically viable for individual miners to not pay the mining pools themselves and to just like mine individually and that they would maybe make more profit, but the convenience of the mining operating system and the payouts and the dashboards and the ease of use were really influencing like consumer behavior. So I think we'll see the same thing with like staking and like my and like uh, minor and, and, and MEV, right? Where in the beginning, uh, staking pool operators are just going to turn this on and just be like, yep, this is what we're doing. And here's your cut of block rewards. And then that's going to go to the operators. Then someone's going to say, hey, look, we should share this kind of stuff because mm -hmm. it's not right. And then that's going to force the hand of the operators. And then eventually what will happen is, like, I wonder about the MEV to the point where, like, different people are going to be offering different MEV rates, <laughs> where the MEV rate itself will start to fall uh, to zero. <laughs> yeah, where people are going to kind of goes back to... Yeah, it kind of goes back to what I was asking before, which is like, how decentralized will we, like how many people will be running the nodes on their own? Like we're talking about today or even just like mining on their own or how many people will be producing blocks on their own in proof of stake? And it's like, in theory, maybe everyone, every single person, but in practice, probably not every single person is going to be running their own validator, MEV, booster, whatever it's called, right? Like, yeah, I don't think everyone's going to be running that exact setup. I think definitely it's probably going to get centralized back more into pools like, like Rocket Pool and, and that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, I think so. Exactly. Um, just especially because uh what are the costs of operating one of these nodes i see people talking about oh and i put this on my raspberry pi and that's great but if you go offline and you get caught for being offline bam you're gonna get penalized <laughs> and who wants to do that yeah i think i'd rather just like be like here take my eth you run you deal with the infrastructure problem because like it's just too much of a pain in the ass for me to make sure that, you know, my AWS EC2 instance doesn't have a hard drive uh, failure or that the power's not out in my hometown disconnecting my Raspberry Pi node from my home network <laughs> and my dedicated line, you know, I'd rather just go to sleep and just be like, hey, you guys, you people do this thing for me. Like, I guess we've been talking a lot about problems. What would you see as, like, a staking chain diversity hypothetical solution? Uh, well, I think, I think, like you said before, Flashbots has definitely paved the way to show that 
on-chain initiatives in like a permissionless environment can definitely work, right? Like it's been, I don't know, maybe they've been around for like two years and they've been working really hard to kind of do the research and, and get MEV kind of sorted out. So hopefully it doesn't get out of control. Like that's been like their entire uh, ethos so far. So I think like that's good to like address the problem head on with an organization like Flashbots. So I think that's really positive going forward for, for proof of stake and the whole uh, MEV kind of, kind of just... thing. And then, Hmm? Oh no! Sorry, for a second, you cut out. No, it's all good. Yeah, and like proof of stake, just in general, I think we said before, like the incentives do align properly. I'd say a lot better than proof of work. If we're talking like the the positives. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think I think that's that's like a definite approach that could be like a viable one, which is just to think about the social aspects and figure out how you can have more transparency. Um, and I think more analytical tools that exposes MEV and like the addresses behind the MEV will be more informative as to like what's going on. So I think information sharing and the fact that right now all the transactions on chain are not private and that like as Bev moves off chain and on chain, being able to like see a payment and then see the result of that payment is like gonna be uh, pretty mage, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is probably a good spot to drop off. Yeah. Thanks, everyone, for listening. It's been great. Yeah. And, uh, I think next time we're on here, the merge will probably have happened already. Yeah. We can talk about post-merge shenanigans. <laughs> yeah. And if I ever get my money from a bridge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Awesome. All right. See you next week. See you next week.